This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle here, as always, with Kara Sismadia from the Canadian. I can't say that. I see now, as always, but you've missed like two weeks in a row. As yeah. normally always with Kara Sismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council, just fresh back from an amazing lobbying trip to Ottawa with the Canadian Camping and RV Council. Got a lot accomplished there. We'll have to get an update on that too later. Kara, I forgot. You have to yeah. tell us all the awesome things and meetings and stuff that you guys did. Uh, or at least whatever you can share of it. But super excited to be here for another episode. Uh, I'm in an airport on my way to Toronto, so I won't be here for the entire show in a WestJet lounge here at a private little area doing the show. But super excited to be here uh, with our open discussion guests. As always, uh, Mr. Casey Cochran's here from CampSpot. Randy Hendrickson here is from Invest Outdoors and United Park Brokers, both and probably 20 other things too. We should get a list, Randy, so I can just root it off. We've got a Sandy Ellingson here who's joining us again, uh, industry consultant, uh, doer of all things from Margaritaville, who she's going to give us a little bit of tour of maybe not a tour but tell us about her experience there talk about some of the getting into rv things and stuff like that and then we've got ivar who is a brand new hopefully recurring open discussion guest with us from ivar camping dreams in europe correct camping dreams that uh platform doing uh social media okay why don't you introduce yourself since you're first here just so i don't have to mess it up. First of all, thank you for having me. My name is, I work for a company uh, called Chemco. Chemco is, is an OTA, it's a booking portal for glamping holiday. And one of the portals uh, we also own is Camping Dreams. Camping Dreams started a little bit as a joke. We were in hotel sales and marketing, seeing, developing uh, sales for hotels on social media. And we were, were like, how much cooler would it be to do that for camping? And with 1 million fans on Facebook, we are the biggest Facebook page to the team camping worldwide and nice. uh, trying to get more and more people excited for camping. Awesome. And Thanks so much do. for joining us. I want to take a, a minute here in a second and, and deep dive into maybe some of the trends that we're seeing in Europe, because that's why we want to have you on the show as a regular guest, right? Now that the world is opening back up, I imagine that there's going to be a lot of travel that's going to be, you know, international, as we were talking before the show again, people crossing the border, both to Europe, as well as to the United States and Canada and all those places and, and renting the, the camper vans again, traveling around, doing all those kinds of stuff. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, the pulse of just the whole camping scene in Europe. Is there anything else that's important that we should start with before we dive into Europe? Anyone? Yeah, I'm selecting my beer here on the app. Sorry, continue. Whoever wants to talk, that's good. There's no rules in an airport. I keep being told this. You can drink whatever you want. Wow. All right, somebody, anybody have any and, ideas? Should and, we talk about anything? You talk to Ivar. Ryan, you're absolutely right. <laughs> See, Ivar's on my side. So, so Ivar, I might ask about fundamentals. Where is Camp Go and Camping Dreams? based out of how long have you been running and then are you really specifically focused in Europe or are you doing anything on this side of, of the pond? We are based in Germany, near Cologne. We mainly do the European market, 
it's our biggest secret that we also have a little fan base in Canada, America, and Australia yes. because it's such an amazing camping world. And I think we, I hope here two worlds will meet a little bit because I think it's so different that it's going, going to be quite exciting. How is camping done in Europe? We have a little bit difference between the north and the south of Europe, the north where it's a little bit colder, the south where it's a little bit warmer. We have a big stream of people going from north to south. And if I look at your RVs, I get jealous. I just <laughs> get jealous. <laughs> they're huge. They're big. Big is not even good enough. They have to be bigger. And here in Europe, camping with your own material, with your own RV or your trailer, they're much, much smaller and we have. A lot of, a lot of campsites, uh, and especially in the southern part of Europe, start to look like resorts and holiday parks, Brian, you just, just said you hate it. You like it a little bit smaller and more, more to nature here. It's going to be like, if you go to, to, uh, the Adriatic sea, Italy, everything near Venice, they're like resorts. There is nothing comparing to our free camp in, in Canada or America. That's so different. That's going to be a quite interesting to see how it's done in Europe, how it's done in America and Canada. And yes, we have a little fan base, about 50,000 people overseas and we don't know what to do with them. We'll move them around. We'll, we can eventually. So I'm, I, eventually. I'm interested because I'm going to have to go here in a couple minutes, but I'm interested what, what makes the trend towards smaller RV, RVs take off over there or the bigger RVs? Are they coming? Have they not taken off? Are they, is it just because the distance between the countries is shorter? The distance people travel for their camping holiday here is about 1,000, 1,200 kilometers. Uh, and that's it. So they do one overnight and then they're at the destination where most of the people really stay. You see a lot of people traveling around, I think in America and Canada and for some holiday families, for example, they book uh, a pitch on the campsite for two weeks and they stay there. They build up the whole thing and just stay there, enjoy the sun, enjoy the region. And that's camping. But our uh, trailers are really much smaller because I think in America, Canada, everything has to be bigger. And if you, you wouldn't even have the possibility to get a pitch here for a, a large RV like that, because the pitches are smaller. Right. Hey, Ivar, I've got a, a theory to run by you. I think you're probably just the guy. So. In the States, you've got the, the huge explosion of glamping and it's, it made it's a tidal wave right now. There's some thoughts that would suggest that it's a bucket list thing. You try it once, then you say, okay, I've stayed in a tent. Maybe it's really not my thing, but at least I tried it. So you wonder if the velocity is going to maintain the kind of growth it has been, but the counter to that, at least from my estimation is for the last couple of years with COVID, there's been no European travel to the States, whereas previously that was quite big. My sense is that there's kind of demand from European travelers to start backfilling back into the States. And when they start traveling here again, they're going to see much better glamping resorts, higher level of fit and finish, better accommodations. And it's at least to my thinking, the European influx back into the States after a couple of year absence could be pretty significant. Is that somewhere close to the sense you have? The European is definitely getting back because there were no flights 
we didn't even have the possibility to get, to get over there and it was impossible to get into the country. I think, and that's the, the one good thing about COVID as well for American Canada, uh, Canadian market, as well as for our own European market, there are still a lot of people that normally would go to a hotel and they prefer a campsite now because there is more nature, there's more space, there is less people. And in Europe, we definitely see the trend to, to rent a glamping accommodation, but also the word glamping. If I see accommodations on glamping hub, or I go to a campsite in Europe that says it has glamping, that's quite something different here in Europe. And I don't know how it's uh, over in America, but here in Europe, the word glamping is not, we don't have really rules for what is glamping and I don't think we do either things. Right. Yeah. But if I have a, a huge resort and he puts <clears throat> 100 mobile homes uh, on it and he calls himself a glamping resort because he has rental accommodations, I don't think he's a glamping resort. He's a holiday park. And if you see real glamping accommodations in the woods on spots that are just unique, that's glamping for me. And, but that's a problem. I think uh, it's a little bit, uh, I always compare it with a wellness. In the, in the nineties, everybody had a wellness hotel as long as you had a sauna. And nowadays people have expectations. If you call yourself a wellness hotel, it, it, it grow, it grew. And I think we have the same way to go with glamping and that you cannot just call everything there is glamping because just a few mobile homes next to each other for me, that's not glamping. Yeah. I think it's interesting that this site definition stuff has consistently plagued this industry specifically. So I just had a conversation with some campground owners in Ottawa last week around some areas of the country use the term transient sites for their short-term school site. And some people are really averse to that terminology. So there's this hope to push everyone to get on board with one like clear set of parameter definitions but what our sites and services look like and, and how they're defined so that the consumer is less confused or um, unsure of what exactly they're booking and, and seeking out. That's a big hurdle. Like I, I, I struggle to wrap my brain around the easiest way to achieve that goal, that end goal of getting us all using the same terminology and clearly not even just here in North America, but globally, that's a big yeah, that's what actually one of the industry problem problems or projects that I've been working on is redefining the language. And this has been an ongoing project for about three years. And one that we learned real quickly is that parks are not going to change their name. If they want to call themselves a resort, they're going to be a resort. If they want to call themselves a campground, they're going to be a campground. So the only way we can we came up with doing it, and I'm hoping that in either late this year or early next year, we'll actually see the launch of this is we're going to be crowdsourcing it so that across all the different platforms where you're able to do a campground review, we've, wet, we've met with most of the owners of those platforms and we will have a definition of five different types and they'll be very clearly defined. And when the camper does a review, we're going to ask them, how do you define this location? And they'll get an option that clearly states what these are. And so we'll begin aggregating that data and letting the campers tell us based on a clear definition, what is that park? What is that campground? One of the clearest needs is understanding the difference between a transient park, which I don't know what else you would call it. Now, everybody tries to find these fun names and transient sounds like a hobo, I know. 
but it really is what it is. It's a part of people come and go versus your seasonal or long-term stay park. And even when you think about your 55 plus, we realized we had to separate that out because there's some very nice 55 plus resorts. And that is very different from some of the long stay places that we have that were built in 2007. The crash happened. They turned into a long-term stay and those rigs have not moved to roll in 20 years. And so they are a neighborhood. They're not a park. They're not a camping location. People have lived there forever. They formed relationships. So the nice term for that is a neighborhood. And so I don't want to go stay in a neighborhood. I'm going to go stay somewhere where other people are like me and camping. And so I think that over a year of kind of gathering some of this information from some of those top sites, we're going to really be able to turn it around and start redefining some of the language. Casey, I'm curious to hear from you on this. Is there uh, work that Campspot is doing specific to the terminology issue? Yeah, maybe not terminology. We've still, you know, that's something we talk about all the time is how far, how many layers do you go into when someone wants to search and go camping for now? We still have it categorized as lodging, RV sites, and tents. And lodging can obviously include cabins, it includes glamping, it can include airstreams and things of that sort. And even if it is like a safari tent or something like that, we assume tent camping is you bringing your own tent. But a lot of people could take that multiple different ways. That's to the extent of where we've gone. The first other layer that we've done with our OTA is making sure that there's a, a clear indication that it's a 55 plus park. That, that was always an interesting, you know, conversation too. I, I think I don't mind the, the, the idea of a 55 plus park, but it's interesting that it's allowed in some capacity, right? Like it's an interesting concept to me that with all the different regulations that happen, that you could say, Hey, sorry. <laughs> Two, you can't get in. It's only certain states where it's allowed. I think I remember having a conversation with somebody in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. I just find, yeah, it's interesting to me. What's also interesting is because some of the, these 55 plus resorts are like the best resorts in the country and they got everything, like every amenity you could ever want. So much activities that's perfect for me. It's not perfect for me and my kids. And that's why they, that's why they don't let you in there. It is an, it is an interesting concept. Someday you can go Casey. I know. They wait turn. It's your closer. Yeah. One of the reasons, I was gonna say one of the reasons we decided to start with the review locations is because it is consumer based. They're out there, you know, working with the consumer to get feedback versus OTA, they're B2B. They're not in a lot of ways because they need that park of that park's inventory to come on and they want to define themselves the way they want to define them. So it created a hardship for the OTA to try and get somebody to then redefine their customer. So that's why we started with the review route. Well, that makes sense for sure. Here's the thing. Like I'll admit, I'm, I, I, I hope that this kind of takes off or is handy. I'm skeptical. Um, not for a couple of yeah. reasons, right? Like obviously it needs done. I don't think there's any argument there. Like it needs to be better categorized for the consumer, but what is a resort? I think that definition is defined by campers and what type and what they're looking for, whether they have kids, or they're looking for a 55 plus resort. I think it's defined by the owner and their perspective of their baby and how high end their own park is. I think KOA tried to, I know KOA tried to do this with journey holidays and resorts. And, and obviously it's worked in some capacity for their segment, but I don't know. I'd love to see data on whether that's caught on to the. That's why we had to very clearly define. We, we identified five. We started with four, ended up having to add a fifth. 
we have a very clear definition of what those five are. And so we're asking them to select one based on a predefined description. So we're not asking them to be subjective. And so I think that's why it will work. And then we explain to them, now you can search by one of these terms. So this week, if I'm looking for a resort and here's the definition of a resort, I can only see what other people have defined as a resort. And I trust those other people. They have looked at that definition into that arc, you know? So we've done about, I, we probably had about 17 or 18,000 responses in some of the testing and found it to be very reliable. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it and hope it works. Yeah, it would certainly make it easier to segment and categorize things. That's for sure. I'm skeptical and I think you're fighting an uphill battle, but I hope it works. Is yeah, that a good middle ground? It's an interesting but byproduct of data driven world we're living in where we want to categorize and framework everything. And I think arguably our industry specifically is one of those, I think it's proven over and over again, that doesn't really fit in any sp certain specific box. And then maybe when it does, somebody comes along and makes things up again. And I think that's a strength of the industry, but obviously in this yeah. instance can work against us for sure. Here's the interesting part. Here's the interesting part. I'm sorry, Sandy, because I, I got to run. I just want to finish the thought really, and then I'm going to jump off and you guys can have a much better show than if I'm here. But it's interesting. You're talking about data care, right? Like, like in the future, we're going to be dealing with a situation where I'm not so sure that these labels are going to matter when you're look, when you're using voice to book things and all that kind of stuff. And I've been talking about this for years and it's admittedly gone a little bit slower than I wanted or I thought it would. But eventually, like labels are in place for drop downs and sorting. And just like we have on CCRVC, right? Checking a box to whether you have fire pits and picnic tables and swimming pools and all those kinds of things. But in the future, if you can talk to a speaker in your voice and say, I'm looking for a campground that's two kilometers off the highway that has a swimming pool that's good for kids, it's rated four stars or higher, you're going to get exactly what you want. It doesn't matter whether it's called a resort or a park or a glamping unit or a journey or a holiday or whatever. It's just going to give you the answer. But I disagree with you there fundamentally, frankly. I don't believe that an AI algorithm can, sure, that park might check off boxes, but I might get there and it might be ugly or I may not have told the robot exactly which every single amenity I needed. And so there's things that even I didn't know I needed that will be missing. I think- You don't think that's missing from a consumer website now? Who doesn't the park who hasn't updated their site in 15 years or doesn't put updated photos or but i think solutions like sandy's talking about where you're relying on other consumer assessments of parks because I, I was a park owner we have blinders on about our own properties a lot of the time we uh, can easily get stuck in some tunnel vision about what our own property is and so relying on their site data is really valuable but not always completely unbiased and so using that consumer, that human element, I think is necessary for the, the consumer specific to our industry. I think you can argue that stuff for, uh, if I'm going to buy a car, I can tell the robot which car I want and what things I want, and he's going to pair me with the right car. But I don't know that our industry, given all the variables that these properties and the nuances, and maybe that will shift away from that, but we have lots of mom and pop operators who I, I preach, I've mentioned on this show multiple times, Jean McDonald in Alberta has this gorgeous, incredible park. But the reason I go there is because she makes dinner plate sized cinnamon buns every morning. And I want one of those. Yeah. But 
Perfect. But you know that from being there in the past. <clears throat> so you yeah, go back. Exactly. But the robot. When you might... go back, you. But when you go back, you don't use the robot because you already know it's brand. And then it's brand. But the new customer might not go there because they don't know that. They need the me's who've already been there and eaten the dinner plate test cinnamon <laughs> button. Yeah. Yeah, no, but so that's the reviews or that's the give me a campground that has something unique to offer within 50 miles of me or whatever. Like I, I hear you. I agree with you. I, I, I just think that this is Google search is going to adapt to this and they're going to be very smart about this. Just like they're already having a robot call businesses and ask what hours of operation. They're going to have a robot call and ask what do you have a swimming pool? Do you have this? Do you have that? And they're going to gather data and they're going to display it. From a practical standpoint, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't mean to interject there, Kara. From a pragmatic standpoint, if you own a property and you've got a website mm -hmm. and you've got a camera, you can solve a lot of problems because mm -hmm. if you take a picture of the accommodation, you can call it a glamping tent, a safari tent, a belt tent. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it a Florida orange. <laughs> but if I can visualize it, I know what I'm getting. And so calling yep. something doesn't help me, but visually I can see what I'm getting and I inject my experience into that photo. And you can call it what you will. I know I want that. That's uh, truth telling. And I know what that is very important to, to the whole point, even in the vernacular, the nomenclature, the clients that interact with on a daily basis. If I put five buyers or developers on one call and one of them said, I'd like to add some glamping tents, there's going to be five different visions of what that is. That's mm -hmm. a $30,000 safari tent with the air conditioning and a bathroom. It's a bell tent in the middle of a pasture with no hookups. They're all going to have a different vision of what is a glamping tent. There is, I, I don't know that there's any way that you ever get to a holistic, all-encompassing definition. And therefore, I go back to, here's a picture of it. And this is what it contains. And so that's part of the voice search. That's part of the throw it up on TV and show me a picture of this to make sure that is what I want. Like it's not going to, voice search isn't going to solve everything, to be clear. I just think that's going to change the way we interact and we find what we're looking for in various aspects of our life. Whether that complements it or replaces it, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about. Next yeah. the suggestions, right? I think that's, we're not there yet, but it's something that we've often thought about is Sometimes people just want to be told where to go to based on a couple of simple factors of suggestions. You look at, you say, I say the word Florida right now, and I guarantee I'm going to get a Facebook ad somehow in Florida, right? I hope it's going to happen. And then, so whether it's on purpose or not, but suggestions, especially I think to me, that's a big opportunity right now. What we're excited about the marketplace for us is camping is still fairly new for so many people and they got introduced to it last, the last couple of years. And there's data out there that, hey, 25% of the people, you know, went camping and they don't plan on maybe going again. It might be that camping, right? It might've been that type of experience. Whereas realizing that they went tent camping this time, but there's a cabin this time. And there's one that's by the waterfront this time. There's one with the waterfront. <clears throat> or there's one that they went to a parking lot style campground. And that wasn't at all what they thought camping was. They're like, wait a minute, where's trees or where's nature or vice versa. To me, I think the suggestion aspect of things is a wide open space because of how vast camping has become. I think there's a really cool opportunity for people to be nudged on. You should try this. And then they're going to pictures. They're going to look at the categories. They're going to go, oh, this looks great. I'd, I'd love to try this. Yeah. And they're going to do that because they're all... gathering. Go ahead, Ivor. Sorry. No. The, the biggest problem we have over here that there are many really cool campsites on unique locations with even not the worst uh, accommodations, but they forget to make these pictures. 
or they don't know how to use the internet, or they don't know that it's important to put some keywords in it to come out of the speaker when Brian asks for a great campsite in Europe. So they, there's just, they know everything about camping. They know how to build a great accommodation. They uh, know how to please their guests, but internet and sales is definitely not their job. Therefore they need camp spot, camp go and stuff like that. And we tell them, listen guys, we know your campsite is great, but grab your iPhone and make a picture of this, make a picture. Sun is coming up, make a picture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pool is perfect. Make a picture. We have to tell them this because there are too many out there that are really great campsite owners, but no salespeople. Yeah. You've already uh, to the extent of doing photo shoots for five remember that, yeah. or something, because we were so desperate to say, we need good images. We want to help you, but you can't, if there's no photography whatsoever, it was a, a very expensive experiment to try, but it, and again, the value is again, yeah, there's. We got a lot of images, what we were excited to do, but it was, yeah, it's to that extent. Zane, I was going to ask, I'm curious, are you starting with defining these categories with, at the campground level, or are you starting by the consumer is educated on these categories and then trying to get the campgrounds to fall into one of those categories because the consumer, the consumer is now, uh, content with whatever those categories are. Where, where are you starting? We had a research company approach it at, from both angles. We, they looked at what is consistent with every demographic that they, the way they're already talking about or describing it, what were the commonalities? And then they researched with campground owners. Why did they call themselves a campground? What motivated themselves to pick, to give that name? And pretty much everything we're doing really focuses on being able to help our industry maintain its growth structure. And what we saw was 600,000 new campers coming in who were what, you know, people were calling COVID campers. They didn't start camping because they love camping. They started camping because they were tired of being locked inside their house. And so now what we need to do is keep them camping. Well, in our survey, the largest thing that came back to us was that the expectations were set inappropriately for them and they were disappointed in the campground that they arrived at. And so they'll never camp again. Right. And there's a lot of data too, that's pretty interesting about the difference between somebody booking a campground and somebody boondocking mm -hmm. and it, it, the rise of boondocking, we've got to look at and embrace some of what they're doing too, as independent campgrounds, because guess what? I can get a campground boondocking today, but I probably can't find a campground to camp in today that I like, or that I want to go to. And Which is why you're at Margaritaville, right? Yeah, we want to be spontaneous. So, yeah, I I do the extremes, right? And this is the mega extreme. So, this is one of Margaritaville's new franchise locations. So, it's a new park about a year old. Sandy, I want you to talk about that. I, I have to go though. I just want to. Oh. I, I got. Thank you. I really. I'm sorry. I'm going to miss that fascinating discussion. You're in good hands with Kara. She's going to talk about that stuff. Really appreciate you guys, Kara. Don't forget at the end to mention, and I forgot at the beginning to mention Fireside Accounting, who's our amazing sponsor of this episode. I do great, uh, awesome accounting services. It's Lindsay Poos. Uh, if you guys are looking for bookkeeping or figuring out how to categorize things or do all the really complex stuff that saves you a ton of things on taxes and time and all that make sure to reach out to Lindsay at Fireside Accounting Care. Just make sure you mention her at the end there. And then maybe if you have time, pull up her website, just give people a look at what it looks like or something like that. So thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, have a great show and I'll see you later. Sorry, Seth. Lunch and beer, Brian. 
Yeah, lunch and beer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> please continue, Sandy. I'm fascinated to hear about this new Margaritaville location. Yep. Because I work as a liaison between the manufacturers and the suppliers and then the campgrounds, I get the privilege of going and visiting a lot of different campgrounds and working with them and talking to them about what we've identified as some of the industry issues right now and how can we work together to solve them. So that's what I'm down here doing. We're planning several events here with some industry leaders. And, and one of, we love this location because there's going to be a lot of non-campers that are going to be coming. So they have a lot of great cabins and things like that. They are a resort, so they do have restaurants on site, lots of different amenities and things like that. But uh, what's really interesting about this specific location, because I'm really not somebody that needs a lot of amenities. We can go camp at a very basic campground and be totally happy. My son is a cheapskate, and I brought him here, and I thought, I'll never hear the end of it because he's going to think this is too fancy and too expensive. And his response to me was, oh my gosh, mom, this place is a bargain because I've never been to a park where they have as many things going on and amenities that are just included. And I love that, that you're not being nickeled and dimed to death at this location. All this, everything was very well thought out. You do have that amazing Margaritaville brand presence here. Um, but this is one of the family owned and operated that's franchised. And so you get a little bit of that family too. So yeah, so it's a really great location if you're looking for a nice vacation and you don't want to do anything but show up and rest. This is have fun. It's a great location and I'm having fun working on industry problems here. So I bet. Are you, is it the Auburndale location? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks lovely. I've around on their website and stuff in the past we we were talking about 55 plus before is it a 55 plus property oh no it's it's very much family oriented in fact it's funny they have uh fire pits all over around outside that people will gather at and just sit and have conversations which i totally love but you'll hear some older people and they'll be going oh there's just too many kids around here and there's bicycles everywhere and they're riding with chalk on the roads and i'm like oh my goodness look around you you know, if you didn't expect kids to be in a place like you're the one who's got the problem, but it's, I would say probably 75% of the people here are families. Right on. Yeah, no, it looks uh, like an incredible property. I have um, a couple of comments actually. Um, I'm just going to mention from LinkedIn. First one is, have you thought about using influencers or content creators to get good images? They're usually less expensive. I will mention specifically here in Canada, Gordon Canada has several really successful partnerships with some really valuable influencers and we're doing some really great stuff specifically with them. I, Casey, does CampSpot do any work with influencers and content creators? We, from not that's taking specific images for parks, we've done, we have influencers and things of that sort from on the marketplace side of things, just gathering reviews and, and things for blog posts and, and stuff along those lines. It's something that we thought about Would we open up the idea of a guest really taking images of the park. There's like a set of standards aspects of thing. There's a privacy type thing as far as if someone's just going around taking pictures and there's other families and stuff like that, there could be some limitations there. So it's definitely something that crossed our mind, but there seemed to be some, some maybe potential issues with it, getting approval with the park, when they were going to do it. And then privacy issues and yeah, so that's something we definitely thought about because it'd be a heck of a lot easier, cheaper, but yeah, no, I, I think the influencer opportunity has been great for an organization like Gordon in Canada, just because they're 
really focusing on the kind of lifestyle branding broader aspect and the marketing from that angle, as opposed to specific uh, camping properties. We do have a couple of really great uh, initiatives actually coming up this summer that are launching with Gordon Canada and they will be, they have a fabulous, I don't know if I can give away too much information on this whole thing. So I'll keep my lips fairly sealed, but they have a, a great Canadian celebrity doing a trip and staying in some parks and getting some really great, great content and features there. It's, I think if I were still a campground owner, I would absolutely be working with influencers to feature my property. I would be paying them for content. No question. 100%. Jacob Marler is asking, what is boondocking? Sandy, I think you mentioned boondocking. Do you want to give him a definition? Yep. Boondocking is just, it's dry camping or staying someone somewhere in a tent, in a rig, whatever, on land that is private or public, but with no hookups generally. So people boondock at my house all the time. We're a part of Boondockers Welcome, and we love having people from all over the country come and stay in our driveway. Now, we do have some hookups for them, but they still call it boondocking. I've even talked to quite a few parks who have now begun allowing boondocking at their park. So if you come in and they have some overflow areas, then for $10 a night, campers can stay in a safe place versus a Wally docking, which is at Walmart. And it really helps my parks because it gets people there to see the park. They pay a small fee to be there. So yeah, but boot docking is basically, you're, it's generally free and you're staying on a public or private land that you're not, there's no hookups for. So I used to do that at my park. I had over, overflow space and charged a small fee. And then it actually turned into something that was quite successful for me, specific to retail sales and ice cream and mini golf and all those things that really up my occupancy in, in areas of the park where I couldn't, I didn't have hookups. So that was a great strategy for me. Jacob, boondocking, I mean, in our area of the world, I know Jacob very well. In Plananaskis and, and there are public parks areas, folks, that country camp or boondock on crown lands here in Alberta all the time. We do have a significant, you know, portion of the market here in this province who really swears by it and insists that's the only way to really truly camp and are pretty passionate about it. We're seeing some issues with regulatory settlement in from the province around that. And so there's, that's creating a bit of, of stir specific to boondocking, but uh, yeah, it's, it is, it's an interesting and, and fascinating experience and certainly for a certain kind of sector of the market. Sure. Yeah. It's an interesting question. If you have a hundred thousand dollars in solar and batteries, are you really boondocking? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. I, I was talking, I actually, in my park, we used to have German guests all the time visit us. My family is German and we offered service there in German and all of that. So I had lots of Europeans there all the time. And this one gentleman had shipped his RV overseas. He brought it over on a boat and was traveling around North America and had stopped. And his rig was like half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. And he actively seeking out these boondocking. And I, somebody in the park said that to him, like, your RV is worth more than my house and you're calling that boondocking? So perspectives, it, that goes back, I think, to the, the nomenclature conversation too, is we all have these really different ideas about what camping is and how it can look for us and what kind of equipment we prefer and all of these things that, you know, can make it, can bog us down with communication barriers, but is also such a cornerstone for why the industry as, as a whole is really successful in my opinion. Yep. 
And I just think it's a really important conversation because if there's anything we've learned in the last several years is that words mean something. Yes. Words set expectations and expectations that are not met mean loss of revenue, income, and opportunity. So it's a conversation we need to be having. Yeah. Hey, Sandy, just to chime in on that, I know we've had that conversation before, and I think you and I were talking about that very thing in a previous show, which is it's one, it's almost a lost art, right? Because if you can take a great picture of your park and your activities and your accommodations, and, but then tell the right message, a truthful message, it's amazing what happens with the legitimacy of the campground and the satisfied customers, right? Because if you say on your website, this will make you 30 years younger and a better dancer, chances are you're not going to meet expectations. But when you just say, hey, look, this is what I have and I'm being honest about it and this is what it is and sell the virtues, invoke the five senses, uh -huh. you'll see this, you'll smell this and taste the steak on the fire. Now I'm involved and I'm emotionally invested in that park and I want to go there. But if you don't oversell it and just say, this is who we are, I, th I think you had an example of a previous park where you advocated, just say what you are and what you're about. And didn't they have a huge spike in occupancy just by telling the story? Yes. Yes. In fact, this was a small park that was landlocked and they were built back when there were no rigs that needed more than 30 uh -huh. And so they felt like they needed to sell and basically just close down their park. This was pre-COVID because they thought we'll never compete with these parks that have 100-foot sites and 50 amp. And I said, are you kidding? Do you know how many people are out there camping in little rigs, smaller than 35 feet, with solar, with lithium? If we can have big rig only friendly parks, why can't we have small rig friendly parks? You know, and market yourself that way. We are a small rig friendly only park, right? And man, they had huge spikes because now all of a sudden, all those guys that really wanted to go show off their solar, show off their lithium, and they didn't even want to hook up to the 30 amp. They just wanted water and sewer. And so it worked perfectly for them. We have a, an audience member in the chat here saying we have a little camper van and would love more cheap overflow type spots like that, that I was mentioning earlier. But I think that speaks to that when you are setting those clear expectations, the guys like Michael are are going to seek you out. And there's there are perks for all of us, I think. Wow. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I find it interesting. We've had, there's been a lot of talk with the campers saying, man, compared even to last year, the, the prices have gone up. And of course, software company is the kind of the bad guy in this telling them, Hey, use dynamic rates, you know, take advantage of the, the pricing that, you know, that you can demand. And obviously I think the camper, to some extent, they, they're starting to feel that, but in the positive end of that, though, what we saw a ton of is so many parks invested a ton of money back into their park for more amenities and, and more things for people to do. And I think that's sometimes maybe the biggest thing missed is with a lot of these places, if you were spending more than 50 or maybe $60 a night, you're going, man, $60 or $80 or $100 just to stay somewhere overnight. It's, it's really not just staying somewhere overnight. It's a, you're obviously getting to stay somewhere overnight, but you would em embrace all the things that they're typically there to do for free, whether it's the views, whether it's the hike, whether it's the amenities, whether it's the pool, whether it's the slide, whether it's the mini, wh whatever that is, whatever the, the things that they're doing. So to me, it's still one of the greatest values I think there is to camp, even if you are spending, oh, I can go to a hotel for $130 a night. Why would I do an RV spot? Or man, those cabins that only sleep two people are $150. That's crazy. No, it's not crazy because where that cabin is, that's 
backed up to, to a river or you get crazy sunsets or you get the community of people there that's got a fire pit and a picnic table. That's what you're embracing. You're not necessarily embracing just the roof. And yeah, I, it's a, a mute message for me when someone likes, oh yeah, it's more expensive to campus here. It's, yeah, but what, what you're getting with that to me far exceeds anything you're going to get in a hotel because a hotel, you might have the pool, but you also like everything else you are paying for, right? Literally everything else outside of that bed you're paying for with a campground. You're definitely getting a lot more typically things to do for free. And you get to do it from your own home. That's the thing with the camper is that is your home. And so you're not unpacking and repacking. You don't feel like you're going into somebody else's space. It's your home. And that's what I love about it. Hey, Casey, I know we've talked before on, on this show a couple of times about what I used to refer to as selling the zip code. It sounds like that's what you're mentioning as well. Do, do you get the sense that parks could arguably do a better job of focusing, not just saying, I've got a great place to stay at X amount of dollars, but trying to sell the experience of the entire zip code as in we are your base camp, but there's a great museum downtown, a great steakhouse, there's a golf course, there's hiking trails. And if you can wrap that whole zip code into why they would stay with you, doesn't that help them rent more sites at a higher rate? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And we're seeing that more and more on, on websites that are getting created as far as things to do around the area. Because a lot of times that's maybe you want that. There's like the, the jelly stones where kind of the expectation is you're going to spend a lot of that time on that resort because that's what you're spending the money for. But typically you stay somewhere for a week, you, you still usually want to go somewhere. You still want to go do something in, in the areas. And yeah, I agree. To me, again, that kind of comes down to not just pictures of the sites and the site types and all that good stuff, but what are the things in the surrounding area? That's stuff that we're trying to gather from parks, even from part of the marketplace side is sometimes people are looking for something near mountains, right? Like you don't have to be on a mountain for your campground to be successful. It could just be near the mountain or near fishing or near rafting. And those triggers are huge when it comes to just general searches. And if you can't find that on the website, you are, you're going to eliminate an audience that would otherwise for sure capitalize on state. And Carrie, we've talked before, when you operate one of these things, you've got the blinders on and that, that you get myopic about this is coming up. I got to watch these numbers. This order's coming in that sometimes you forget, oh, by the way, I'm at the base of the Cascade Mountains. Maybe I should mention that there's a river flowing two miles from here, but I'm more concerned about day to day. But man, when you open up those blinders and say, but what am I selling? I'm selling this whole region, but it's hard. You were an operator and, and you get sucked with that tunnel vision. Yeah. I mean, it's payroll day and we got things to do. And so it's easy to go down that rabbit hole and be really, I remember, uh, a few years in to my experience, one of the, one of the campground owners that, that I met through CCRVC actually, when I was on the board said to me that he goes, he plans a trip at the end of the season every year and goes and visits everybody else on the board's parks and checks them out and has a visit and does the handshaking things, but it really always enriches his own experience for his own park. He's able to see his park from the camper's point of view in visiting these other properties. And that really changed um, things for me in my own perspective and, and was something I started to do myself. Just, I think some of our associations do such a great job at setting up tours of, of member properties and stuff for your operators to, to go see what one another are doing. And, and that's an incredible benefit. 
to membership, I think, but definitely going out and checking out other properties, even things like you mentioned, the museum, like what, when was the last time you went to the museum that's six blocks from your park? Like to go in there and check it out and, and see what's happening. I, I think those things are valuable to see from your guest's perspective. And arguably there's not a ton of time for that. Maybe things like finding some influencers or or whatever, or strategies to do that. Because, But don't you think as a campsite owner, you have to make some time for that? Yes. Because it's one of the most important things. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree. I think that... That's maybe one country, but here in Europe, we have uh, uh, camps in Germany, in Spain, in Italy, different countries, different languages. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we do after we sort the charm of our park is sell the region. Yes. Period. Absolutely. Because yeah. we know the people coming to visit us don't know the region. And we tell them, mm -hmm. you go there, there's a great beach, there's a great museum, there's a great mountain, there you should go rafting. And yeah. it's something we tell them on the website already because it's one of the most important reasons why somebody chooses to go. We always think our park is the reason they go there, but it's not always our park. Mm -hmm. It's the destination they want to go. They said, I wanted to go to Texas for years now, and now we do it. Where should we go? Yeah. And then yep. they find the park. And that's the same here in Europe. I've heard to your point, I think it's one of those things, clearly it is an international type of thing, because when you're an operator, you, you get very subjective about what you do and you don't be objective about what there is to experience where your customers are not coming with a subjective mindset. They're coming in with an objective mindset. What is there to do? And isn't it interesting? Sometimes you can check into whether it's a bed and breakfast, a glamping resort, whatever it is. And you say, I'd like to find a place to eat. And they say, oh, there's a 13th century castle just down the road here with a, a Trappist Monk uh, brewery in the bottom of it. Why didn't you tell me that on the website? I would have stayed here to leave. You get more objective to see what's around there. It's, it's not the fault of the campground operator because businesses are hard and they take a lot of time and demand. But man, what a difference it makes when you objectify where you are and wrap the whole thing into what you, the story you're telling. It's just, it's just gold. Yeah, I think. And after that, it's storytelling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that but, stuff comes back to what we were saying before about campground owners being really great campground owners, but we will, aren't always, I'm not a salesperson. Right. I could not, I'm not a salesperson. Maybe I'm not a storyteller. And Randy, we always have this conversation about building the team of people yes. that are, those people are, if you can find a storyteller, hire that guy. <laughs> if you're not a storyteller. And I think that stuff is really valuable, but I, I, maybe I'm biased, but I think Kim Crown owners are incredibly adaptable and do such a great job overall that arguably our industry, we're pretty fortunate in this industry. I, I was chuckling at this response here from Michael in the chat, Marina's charged by the foot. I always wondered how an RV park would fare trying that. I'd love to hear some feedback on this. <laughs> I don't think we charge by the foot. We charge by the AC unit. <laughs> I'm from the south, so that matters. A lot of time marinas, though, when they charge by the foot, at least our experience with them is it's because they have, let's say, 400 feet of frontage and, and they're not, they're not necessarily slots. Whereas if they're slots, a lot of times you're just paying for that slot, whether it's 24 feet or a 40 foot boat or a 60 foot boat, whereas if you have 250 feet of frontage, that is valuable real estate. Then you got to charge by the foot because a big hundred footer comes in there. They're going to take up a fourth of your inventory. So you'd have to charge accordingly. But yeah, that is an interesting concept. I mean, I think again, the whole storytelling thing is, is really interesting to me because even again, we work with Margaritaville, we work a lot of the bigger parks too. And then some people, 
that's what they're looking for. But there's so many people that's not like, you don't need to compare yourself with the Margaritaville. You compare yourself to whatever the little piece of land that you have and what that experience is and what that means. And because what you can have confidence in is that there are enough people assuming that if you create a somewhat of a unique experience, there are enough of those people that are looking for that experience. And I think right. that's what sometimes gets missed is you don't want to advertise to the same audience that maybe a Jellystone is advertising to if you don't have a bunch of amenities and your kids are bored out of their mind and they're running around causing problems because there's nothing to do. Well, that shouldn't be your clientele then. That shouldn't be who you're trying to get in there. And, and maybe you're not saying that it's kid friendly. Kids are going to have a blast here and there's, you know, one tree for them to climb and there's nothing else to do and you don't let kids climb on the tree. So it's, yeah, you got to figure out what your store is. And there's definitely enough people um, in this world that want to go camping that are looking for whatever your story is. You just got to you know, define it and then market to them. To your, point, to your point, Casey, sometimes our biggest competitor is ourself and we are our own competitor. You know, that's just the truth because you think of what's the other part doing, what are they doing? And, and you position yourself defensively or whatnot. But I've always said my biggest competitor is myself. I challenge myself to do better at this or better at that. Part of that is looking internally at who am I? What is my park? What is my identity? What is my brand? And really working hard on selling that. Compete with yourself. Don't compete with Margaritaville. Don't compete yeah. with Sun Outdoors. Don't compete with the mega park down the street. Compete with yourself to tell your best story and care to your point about the team building type thing. I totally agree because not all of us are storytellers, right? But if you brought an objective person, they'd say, what is it about your area? What, tell me, I, I don't know anything about it. Be my concierge. Tell me all about it. And you list out all the stuff there is to do. If you've got a good storyteller as part of your team, man, oh man, have you just moved the bar on your occupancy, on your revenue, on guest satisfaction by sending the proper message in the proper measured tone with appropriate photographic evidence of it. That's probably one of the single biggest thing any park could ever do to substantially increase revenue, guest satisfaction, tell the best story you possibly can, period. Yeah. I, I have to say from biggest problem for campsite owners. Sorry, Ivar, please go ahead. No, Kara, please. No, I was just going to say my personal experience that finding out the identity was the hardest part. It is. We, we could do the daily day to day part, but. The, the identity stuff felt like it was constantly shifting a little bit and changing. And, and so nailing that down was a constant thing to focus on for sure. It's hard. It's hard. Sorry, Ivar, go ahead. I, I think it's everybody's homework, ne? find their own identity and uh, find their own strength. And then you start doing the storytelling. The hard thing nowadays is uh, what Randy said, get the right uh, review on the right spot, get the right. If Brian starts asking is Google uh, where he wants to camp, how do I pop up there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where people get lost. Right. Yeah. Because that is, that is really hard. Even if you know who you are, what your strength is and how beautiful your region is, somebody needs to hear your story and yeah. that's where the, where, the, where the journey starts and that's where it gets hard. Yeah. And that's where, uh, where, where you should, should get help. If you say, honey, I'm not a storyteller and I don't know if I do it correctly. You should get help because. If you have a great campsite on a great location and you're not satisfied with your occupancy, yeah, then it's not always your fault. No. Right. Maybe you're just not hurt. That's where the value of the State Park Association, because if you're a small park and you don't have the staff or the expertise to run a great social media campaign, there's probably 15 or 20 other parks somewhere in your area that are a part of your state association 
And you can build that economy of scale by allowing the state association to bring in and do campaigns for all of your parks. And you just tweak them a little bit. And so we've been real successful in helping bring high-end, real expertise, I mean, people with expertise in social media and in Google Analytics, but they're doing it for 15 parks instead of for one park. And so those parks are really benefiting from that. And so there's that whole crowdsourcing things for the park, I mean, for the camper also works for the campground. Agreed. I, I'm obviously biased working for the National Association here in Canada, and we just had our meetings last week. So this stuff is fresh for me. It was lovely for us all to finally gather in person. It's been a long road for us up here to get there and, and then to meet in Ottawa and get to sit down with our federal political representatives and present some big barrier issues. But one of the biggest things I always take away from that annual event is that ability for 30 operators to gather in one place and really have this significant voice together at that federal regulatory level that really feels so impactful. I remember uh, that first really impacting my own business personally, but also my perception of prior to that experience, I felt like I was never going to be listened to. I'm just a little small business owner and it didn't matter what my issues were. And, and then suddenly having that, that representation and that voice in that group collective kind of crowdsourced way yeah. really yeah. shifted my perspective, my willingness to help impact that change and, and participate in those big events, really vital to my business. No question. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Look at the time. <laughs> wow. And I wish to chat away on the most random things. I, I do want to mention, like Brian directed me to Fireside County one more time. Lindsay Beast does a fabulous job with her clients down in the States. And, and I hope I keep subtly leaning on her to come to Canada. We need you up here. No pressure on that front, but firesideaccounting.com, really great partners of ours. And uh, so thankful for their support. I am incredibly grateful as always to this group. Ivar, thank you for joining us. It's so great to have that European perspective brought to this table. I look forward to where this Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's awesome. Wonderful. As always, Sandy, Randy, Casey, I love to hear from you guys. Your perspective is so, so valuable to, to me in this industry. And I, I hope, I don't know if we share with you, we get some really great feedback from the, the stuff you guys bring to the table here. And it's so valuable to our viewers. And I, I can't say enough. It's, this has been a fabulous experience for me, this show. I appreciate your time so much. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you in another month, which will fly by. I feel like we just had the April conversation. It's May now. It's camping season. We're in full swing. Good to go. I, I look forward to seeing you all in June. For those of you watching live, thank you for joining. We are available in podcast format on Apple and Spotify and all those other places you can get your podcast content from. Please check us out. Continue to support us. We love uh, connecting with all of you guys in this way. And we will see you next week. Yes. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Ciao. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.